joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, fandom. Happy New Year. It's 2021, and we're kicking off this year with an episode on one of our very favorite topics, tropes. We're going to talk about what tropes are and what they mean, and then we'll talk about managing expectations versus surprise on Creator Corner, which is more connected than you may think. (laughs) After that, we'll hear from you guys, and then we're going to announce a special event that starts its second round today. What could it be? Enormous thank you to our cover artist for this episode, Lahanji. We have lots to talk about, as always, so let's get started. In today's Let's Talk segment, Ferret and I are going to go over the concept of tropes. It's a word we use a lot, but we realize that unpacking what a trope actually is and what it isn't and and maybe be helpful to some of you. Plus, we just really love talking about them. So this is a little bit self-indulgent. <laughs> the The standard definition of a trope that I always think of really is that they're shorthand. It's a literary device that is used so often that everyone kind of knows what they're getting into. They can be themes, stereotypes, settings, ideas. As far as I am concerned and from the definitions that I've seen around and the way other people seem to use it, the only real boundary on a trope is that it's recognizable. It is a, a kind of a set thing. You can play with it. We'll talk about that later. You can subvert it. You can do all of those things. But on some level, it's it happens enough times that it is set and recognizable. Now, trope and cliche are sometimes used interchangeably I don't think they are interchangeable, but let me explain why. So a trope that has been used to death that people kind of roll their eyes at, some of the ones that get really into stereotypes in particular, I think lean into cliche. Now, the boundary between those is personal opinion. There are times that even Ferret and I have had conversations and something that I think of as a trope, she thinks of as a cliche and vice versa. This is very, very flexible definitions in between them. The stuff that I think of as cliche in perhaps science fiction or fantasy is stuff that other people may think of as beloved tropes. So some of this, by the way, the difference in how you interact with tropes depends on the kind of medium they are in. There are lots and lots and lots of romance tropes that people who don't read romance think of as completely cliche. That those of us who read romance and write it think of it as basic building blocks. Mr. Flame thinks fake dating is so cliche. I think it is the greatest things literature has ever given to us. So it just, it's your mileage may vary on this, but I do not think they are as a literary term interchangeable. They might be personally interchangeable, but I don't think literarily that they are. Bouncing off of that as well, cliche is a word that has a negative connotation to it and implies that something is bad or unliked or um, shouldn't be used in some way. Whereas the concept of a trope is value neutral. So in some ways, calling something a cliche is adding a negative connotation to a known trope. Um, A lot of people seem to think that the concept of a trope does carry an inherent negative connotation, but they simply can't. As a concept, tropes in general can't It can't be a negative thing to have a trope in a story because every single story can be broken down into tropes. 
they are the necessary building blocks of stories because they're based on the fundamentals of storytelling, the fundamentals of how characters, uh, how people are built and the, the lack of variety that is in the way the world works. <laughs> And I think sometimes people think that you can tell stories with like that using a trope is lazy somehow. I feel like I yeah. hear this from especially like dude bros. You can't tell a story without tropes. You just you just can't. Yeah, it's they're literally just uh, the discussion of what is a trope is the discussion of the Lego blocks that build stories. And the the goal of breaking things down into tropes is to bring things down to their very core essences. So while an individual trope could be one you don't like or one you think is cliche or even one that the vast majority of people think is cliche um, or one that's stereotypical or harmful, those can be negative in that way. But merely containing tropes or a thing being a trope cannot mean that it is bad. It just means that it is a building block of storytelling. Sometimes we use the adjective tropey in fan fiction. Something's very tropey. Um, and I don't think that in fanfic that has necessarily a negative connotation, but it it does generally mean that something is predictable or, or safe um, or that the story is smushed full of lots of the most popular common tropes or patterns that we're used to seeing. For some people, that's a good thing. For some people, that's a bad thing. So I think that as we're talking about tropes and thinking about tropes when we're writing, we should also be careful to recognize that inherently tropes are not a bad thing. They are a necessary thing. And any discussions about value um, are about either specific tropes or the way tropes are being used or how you're engaging your readers or any of those sorts of things. Um, speaking of breaking things down into the Lego blocks, um, I kind of wanted to introduce, some of you might not know about the project tvtropes.org. Um, it's been around, God, I don't even know when it started, but a long time ago. <laughs> Um, and it's a website with the goal of identifying and naming and building reference lists for every trope that they can find. So any recognizable pattern, character, story beat, all of these things are broken down on story on TV tropes. And it's huge. And it's a wiki style structure. So you can get lost in it for years because every trope links to other related tropes. Every trope has a complete list under it of every uh, reference in anime, TV, movies, books, everything. They have categories for all of them. And some of them have been submitted. Some of them, you know, the, the people who are collaborating on this project submit them, but users submit them too. And um, it's kind of endless. And I've spent years and years and years of my life just clicking through TV tropes. It's really fun and I recommend it. And just to give you sort of a taste of what it's like, I just wanted to share with you three tropes and how they describe them on TV tropes uh, that I think will be familiar for you possibly, um, that are very well known but they also have hundreds and thousands of other tropes that maybe you've never heard of because you're not in that genre at all. Um, so yeah, the first one is lampshading. Uh, it's actually officially called lampshade hanging. And this is what TV tropes has to say. 
Lampshading is the writer's trick of dealing with any element of the story that threatens the audience's willing suspension of disbelief, whether a very implausible plot, de plot development or a particularly blatant use of a trope by calling attention to it and simply moving on. This assures the audience that the author is aware of the implausible plot device that just happened and that they aren't trying to slip something past the audience. It also assures the audience that the world of the story is like real life. What's implausible for you or me is just as implausible for these characters and just as likely to provoke an incredulous response. I think fanfic has a lot of built-in lampshading because sometimes we're hanging a lampshade on the ways that we know canon did or didn't work. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, so that can be fun. But also sometimes, you know, you can just say, yeah, there's a plot hole and I'm just going to show everybody that I know it's there and we're going to move on from it. So I think lampshading is is one of one of the best, one of my favorites. It's fun to play with you. Like I literally just did it in a fic when I realized that I had used two different ways to spell this one thing. So I just went ahead and had a character point that out and be like, so which one is it? We keep seeing it different ways. <laughs> That's good. Cause I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. And I didn't keep track of this. And that was absolutely how I lampshaded that because it felt better to call it out and spotlight it than to let someone think I hadn't paid attention to what was going on, even though that was- <laughs> It also like calls back to the like, um, even if there's no lampshade hung on it, if you're a reader, I like to give authors the benefit of the doubt and assume that they noticed and they just didn't care to change it. So hang your own lampshade sometimes and it lets you enjoy things a little bit more. Yep. Uh, next up, we have a very special episode. Um, My all capitals, favorite. Which, uh, yeah, one of Flame's favorites. This maybe doesn't fit so much with fanfic, but... Um, Oh, if you watch any like sitcoms in the 90s, you've got a lot of these. So a very special episode is an episode, often in a sitcom, in which the lead confronts some highly emotional, highly emotional or forbidden issue from everyday life. Drug abuse, eating disorders, and worse, teenagers having sex. <gasps> at the end of the episode, <laughs> the, at the end of the episode, the protagonist is enlightened and the guest character with the very special problem is never seen or heard from again. <laughs> Often there's a 900 number or an 800 number to call should you or someone you love actually have the very special problem. I uh, snort a little because the 900 number in America was a sex line. Yeah, I think it was here too. That's I don't know really, why that came out of my mouth. It's <laughs> a really fun Freudian slip. But also, can I tell you my very, I have two very like special favorite episodes. Can I just say them really quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both from Saved by the Bell. And Classic. one of them is very is the very famous Jesse Spano takes speed to pass the SATs one. Okay. Which is a slight inversion in that like we, I mean, Jesse was a main character, but it was still a super special episode because we had to talk about how your grades were not more important than your health, even though everything else in American culture told us otherwise, but whatever drugs are not worth it. Right. And, and then the, the, the other drug, one it never comes up again, right? It's just like the one ever. No. episode. It's, yeah. She's so excited and she's so scared and that's it. And then the other one is also to do with drugs in which there was a new boy in school oh. who, yeah, I know. And he was dangerous. He wore flannel <gasps> and leather jackets. <gasps> Shocking. I mean, clutch your pearls. I believe his Very name fun. was Johnny. Of course it was. And uh, they all called him out and it was a whole thing. And then at the end of the episode, literally the president of NBC, Brandon Tartikoff, somehow shows up at Bayside High School and they shoot a PSA. Oh my God. That finishes with, there's no hope with dope. That's fantastic. 
it was the most peak 90s like oh my gosh and then we can get into there's dramas too like uh er had a very famous one called love's labor loss that's a very special episode about like women dying about preeclampsia and women dying in childbirth like dramas do this too but it is it is so blatant in sitcoms that that's especially sitcoms aimed towards teenagers because this was very much like a a tool for using tv to like raise our kids right kind of thing so yeah like I feel like Degrassi was just laden maybe every episode was a very special episode oh I just assumed that all of Degrassi like was a very special series yeah probably and then like every episode um, I've ever seen is. If anyone's seen Clone High, which I just oh my god, at the beginning of every episode, the narrator says tonight on a very special episode of Clone High, and it's that's absolutely a a callback to this very trope. So if you've enjoyed, yeah. it, that's where it comes from. Our last fave trope from TV tropes is one that absolutely is a big deal in fan fiction and um, probably a great thing for us all to be thinking about sometimes. And that is Chekhov's gun. You might've heard of this before, but not actually entirely know what it means. Um, Chekhov was a writer, master of the short story. And here's what TV Tropes uh, has to say that he gave this advice. If it's not essential, don't include it in the story. The term has come to mean an insignificant object that later turns out to be important. For example, a character may find a mysterious necklace that turns out to be the power source to the doomsday device, but at the time of finding the object, it does not seem important. The necklace was essential to the story, but its introduction downplayed its importance. Chekhov's advice was not necessarily to conceal importance, but to just not spend time on things that are not important. A lot of people consider the phrase Chekhov's gun synonymous with foreshadowing. They are related. A gun that goes off in the third act that hasn't been seen in the play at all before then is going to feel like a real ass pull, which is another TV show. But that's not key to the meaning of the phrase. So while the gun itself as a concept is telling you if you're going to need the necklace later, introduce it at the beginning, it also tells you don't introduce the necklace and make a big deal out of it if it's not going to come back later in the story. So there are kind of two sides to, to taking Chekhov's gun trope as real advice for when you're plotting out your stories. Yeah, because the gun thing is from a play he wrote where they literally had a gun mounted on a wall in act one. Mm-hmm. And it was just there for act one and act two. And you didn't really, like, I think a, a character comments on it, like says something like that's a really nice gun. And there's a little bit of a, but it's just the decor. And then it is a pivotal part of, of an act in act three where somebody grabs it off the wall and is able to use it in a very significant way. Because in that particular play, it's the only way to get this thing happening. So it's a, it is, but it's foreshadowing without like announcing anything. The not announcing anything to reiterate again, like Farrah just said, is the important thing. And I will be honest, this is one of those ones that I wish more of us would be careful with in fanfic. I can't lie. Yeah, it is the kind of thing where you notice when it hasn't been done right. Uh, And sometimes you don't notice when it has been done right because it's so smooth. Um, But I think we have a whole potential episode on foreshadowing that we could go into this more because it is something that takes some active thought. And I think a lot of writers struggle with it. It takes a lot of practice. I I struggle with it. Um, So we'll get into that more. And if you guys want to hear more about that, let us know so that we know to make it a priority for upcoming episodes. But moving off of TV tropes, which I love, and we will obviously link it in the show notes and you guys should totally check it out, but maybe like only on a holiday or a weekend because you might lose a few hours clicking around. Um, But 
in a way, the AO3 tag system kind of draws from the same concept that we can use certain turns of phrase to embody these whole concepts that will be recognizable to people. And so things like when we have fake dating or ABO or hurt comfort as tags on AO3, they're doing the same kind of thing where they're identifying a trope or a suite of tropes that you can expect to find in the story. And this is definitely like a concept that has grown over time as fandom and media analysis and media consumption um, has become a public entity on the internet, a shared public entity. We've drawn these shorthand ways of talking about um, not just the events in the canon that we love, like all the short forms we use for the various movies and stuff like that, but the very building blocks that make up the stories that we love. There are tropes that are really comfortable. Like I have base expectations going into the work, a fic, a movie, a video game, a novel. Like as we talk in the next section about expectation versus surprise, and the tags and how this all relates, we'll get into this a little bit more, but fundamentally that's what the building blocks of a story mean. A certain trope is comfortable for certain people. And we generally know what things are going to happen when you go into, for instance, let me talk about the tropes that are in, innate within a rom-com. When you call something a rom-com, some things are going to happen. There's going to be a misunderstanding to protagonists that will have some reason that they're not already together, but they'll overcome it in the story. There's frequently a sassy best friend. There is often a wise parent, an adorable moppet. They help provide clarity to the characters on their journey to love. Then comes the moment where the protagonists realize that they only have a happily ever after together and everything ends well. And it's having story beats that you can trust. We all have our favorites and we have ones that don't work for us. As you all know, and this is no secret, I spend most of my time in romance literature and romance movies. We've talked a lot about my love of Hallmark movies and the holiday movies and the beats they move by. I understand that for a lot of people, the tropes of romance are why they don't engage with it. They don't happily after afters. They don't want two or three protagonists that work things out together. They want different things. They want different tropes. And so they go to other genres. If you want a trope that involves I don't, I don't read science fiction or fantasy all that often. And I don't really watch action movies that don't involve Tony Stark. So I, I'm not super helpful here, but if you want a trope of, of a good guy, literally physically beating the living shit out of a bad guy, you're probably not going to find that in a rom-com. So you're going to go somewhere else. The horror tropes, the virgin sacrifice, the don't going down the stairs, the, all of that those exist in thrillers and suspense. And so you know what's going in in a very, very specific way that a lot of us find comforting significantly more often than we emotionally investigate. I absolutely adore Friends to Lovers as a trope I have for all of my reading life. I love arranged marriage. I loved fake dating. I love forced proximity. And I have a real thing for single parents. Some of those have shifted throughout my life, by the way. I'm not a huge fuck or die fan. I generally don't love mortal peril mixed in with my fiction unless I'm going in to read a thriller. If I find mortal peril in something that I think of as a romance, I'm usually thrown off and I don't care for it. I hate cliffhangers 
almost more than anything else. And so anything I read, and this is, I've talked to people who have been helping me find comics, like um, Key and Magic have been guiding me through my comics journey. And the real important thing I keep stressing to them is I'll read just about anything as long as I know the story is going to end. Like I need a beginning, a middle and an end. It can be I hard don't. to find in comics. In comics, they want to yes. keep you coming being, back week to week. So keep you on. God love them. They're being very. So I started with Man Out of Time, for instance, and yeah. I just I'm just finished uh, Extremists, and those are kind of set stories that really help me. As I read more comics, I might be significantly more comfortable with open and maybe I'll get there. I don't know, but in my life, it's like one of the reasons I tend to not read giant um, fantasy series. Because in romance series, even if they are sprawling, like the very famous right now Bridgerton series is eight books, four prequels and four sequels. They're massive. You can read absolutely every single one of those books on their own and never touch another one. They are self-contained stories in a wider world. And that's what I'm used to. I started reading romance when I was 11. So I'm, that's just kind of how I cut my teeth on literature and it's, it's what I really like. So that's, that's kind of mine. I've gone through phases where I really, really like um, the secret baby thing that happens a lot in Harlequin novels. And I've gone through phases where it's, I absolutely will not read it if it's in it. So there's, there's, there's tropes of mine that my tastes change, but I will tell you right now, friends to lovers, fake dating, and, uh, like those are my, mwah. they are the all the time, no matter what, I will love these things. Uh, I'm a, I, I dislike cliffhangers too. I think it's because endings or at least the, the moment right before the ending is usually my favorite part of a story. So, um, if I feel like I'm building up to my favorite part and it doesn't come, that's, that's really brutal for me. So I'm not someone who can really read whips. Um, but unlike flame, I do like a little mortal peril in my stories. Cause I think I've said this 5 million times that hurt comfort and angst with a happy ending are my favorite places to live. I want something that hurts so bad and then feels so good at the end. And while I do indulge in some fluff and stuff like that, I really like something that's got, there's gotta be a struggle in the middle for it, for it to be one of my peak faves. Um, but yeah, I could, I could drool on that <laughs> all day long. What's really funny is that I like it a whole lot better in fic than I do in like published works. Yeah. And I think that, um, there's a whole other episode there too, about the difference between fix and published works and that we get a lot of, um, our safety in other ways from fix that we don't have yep. in published works. So we need Correct. to feel safer in different ways when we read published works. Another one that you guys would like us to explore, please let us know. At the end of the day, when you're thinking about tropes, I think maybe the best way to consider it is um, tropes are all the little Lego bricks. And we've been talking about Lego a lot on this on this podcast. I don't think that's going to stick around, but we've just got some Lego episodes back to back. And I'm sorry for that, but you all like Lego, right? So imagine uh, all the little Lego bricks. Each one is a different trope. They're different shapes or different colors. Genres are like the bins you sort the Legos in. So you'll have a romance bin and it's got all the tropes in it that can build or be expected in a romance novel. You've got your horror bin. Sometimes bins have the same Lego bricks in them. Sometimes they don't. And when you build a story, you're dipping into the bins to construct something. And they could all be from one bin. You can do cross genre stuff for multiple bins. And we're going to talk a lot in the next segment about picking those blocks and sticking them together. But just to sort of conceptualize the relationship between tropes and genres and stories, uh, that's what you're looking at. And a cliche is the brick that got left out overnight and you stepped on it in the morning and uh, we all know how it feels to step on a Lego brick when you weren't expecting it. So there you go. 
Writing for a readership is about managing the difference between expectations and surprise. This is true for all fiction, but obviously we're here to talk about how it works in fanfic. So what does that mean really? Well, in some fundamental way, a story has to match the expectations that a reader has for it, or they'll be disappointed or frustrated and boy, will you hear about it. Some of those expectations are about quality or things like readability or punctuation. And we've talked about those previously on the pod. Today, we are talking about expectations for plot beats, genres, and tropes. As Flame was saying in the last section, when someone says rom-com or horror, you have certain expectations about how the story will play out. For a rom-com, it'll be romantic, it will be funny, or at least joyful to some degree, and it will end happily with the couple we're rooting for together. If the story instead ended with both characters dying in a terrible plane crash and the single parent's adorable Moffat left an orphan, but it was labeled a rom-com with one of those covers with the two people back to back with their arms crossed smiling and like some mistletoe above them or something, we'd be very surprised and not in a good way. See my feelings on the movie Last Christmas. I have a funny story about that. I don't know if this will make it into the pod, but my mom texted me a little while ago and was like, have you seen the movie Last Christmas? I'm really enjoying it. I really like Queen Latifah. And I was like, so confused. Cause I was like, isn't that the one with like the heart thing? And like, just at an utter loss. And then I realized she meant last holiday, which is like (laughs) a totally goofy rom-com with Queen Latifah. And I was like, oh my God, mom. I spent like three weeks thinking that last Christmas was my widow mother's favorite (laughs) Christmas (laughs) movie. I was like, I don't even know how to start talking to you about this. I feel like you're going through something, but no, it was Queen Latifah loving to be a chef, which is a lot more understandable. And also a really funny movie everyone should watch. I bet it's a great movie. It just feels a little bit more on brand. So. Yes, yes. I had remembered it was called Last Holiday. So whew, that was that was a moment. Um, Ooh, it was actually oh Mr. God. F who sent me right. He was like talking about it. And I was like, oh my God, Last Holiday is a movie. That is what it is. <laughs> Mom doesn't like the, isn't into the ghost sex thing. Good, 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 good. Good, good, good. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, side note. Um So if these sorts of things happen, we are very surprised and it's not necessarily in a good way. But you can also use surprise in a good way. The value to surprise is it keeps your readers curious and interested and maybe even challenges some of their ways of thinking or some of the grooves or ruts they are in. There's a book by Terry Pratchett who has a gift for using twists of tropes in perfectly surprising ways, which uses the classic trope of a woman dressing up like a man to join the army, like Mulan. But spoiler alert, It turns out the whole regiment is women, all dressing as men so they can join the army for various reasons. And it comes out person by person that they all realize that they are all women. So it's a way of taking the trope, turning it on its head and turning it into something new while still actually using the trope as a story building technique. For anyone wondering, the book is called Monstrous Regiment. This, that's a fantastic example of using a very well-known trope, but adding a surprise so it keeps the story interesting for readers. And that can be a great writing exercise for you as well, to take a trope that is well-loved, well-trodden and say, can I twist this on its head? Like, can I take the fake dating trope and write maybe an outsider POV story where it's about these two characters being forced to fake date, but by the end of the story, you realize the outside POV character realizes and the reader realizes that they were actually dating all along and they were pretending to not date so that they could pretend to fake date, (laughs) you know, things like that. You can take these things, twist them, try them from different angles. And sometimes just picking a trope, picking a favorite AO3 tag and just sitting there with it and spinning it around and saying, can I try this from another angle? 
could be a great way to add some surprise to your story. But that's not to say that a story has to be surprising to be engaging. It really, really doesn't. Look at the huge mountains of cake that fandom loves to devour. That's just repeats of like fake dating, which we were talking about. We both love arranged marriage. We both love. A lot of what we love is the safety of knowing our expectations will be met when it comes to certain tropes. So when we're talking about managing expectations versus surprise, we're not saying there's some perfect line that every story needs to walk. We're saying these are, are two things that can work in harmony, they can work against each other, and they can both help either improve or, um, I was going to say disprove, but that, that is not the opposite of improve. <laughs> they can hurt or help your story. A lot of excitement of new media is about being surprised. So while we may enjoy a lot of the safety of not being surprised by some of our fan fiction, as we were saying in the last segment, if we're going out and looking for brand new media to consume, books or TV or movies or what have you, we might be looking to be surprised in a way that we're not when we're in fandom. Or we might looking be looking to find our safety in different places and our expectations will be a little different. So um, Old Guard, I think, is a good example of something recent that used a lot of known tropes, but also turned a lot of tropes on their heads. They defied some tropes that are problematic and really shouldn't be included, like the bury your gaze trope. In Old Guards, the gay, the gay couple, are, they're literally immortal, so they can't be killed, which is a bit of a nod to that. Um, but it also still has some familiar tropes like the older, stabler guidance character and the young new member of the team that comes in um, with a new perspective on things and, you know, they clash at first and they find their, their place. Uh, so, it, it's 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 a that's a great example of, of showing how you can take old tropes and throw them out, especially tired ones or hurtful ones, and still use some of those old favorites to guide people along so they feel safe, but also give the story room to explore new surprising things. Because I don't want to ruin old guard for everybody, but there are a lot of there are a lot of surprises in it. There are a lot of new ways of approaching things that were really clever. And then there are a couple of really solid old school tropes that you've seen a hundred times, but they're done well. So it's comfortable and it's fun and enjoyable. And that's the kind of balance that I think we can strive for when we're trying to build a story. Yeah, I am not somebody that believes in a surprise. For surprise's sake, I can list you any number of mainstream properties over the last five years that I think were ruined because they went for a surprise, hashtag Game of Thrones, and instead like didn't really walk this balance. They were trying to play got you with the audience and because they wanted, they thought surprise was always the goal. So I want to re-emphasize that what Ferret just said where surprise is not always necessary. And often small surprises are even better just because life is full of small surprises, very rarely the giant ones that, that we experience in fiction. Mm -hmm. The point is at the end of the day, when it comes to plotting and when it comes to using tropes to remember what we said before, which is that you can't actually do anything without tropes. Instead of saying, is this too tropey? Maybe think about things of, is this trope stereotypical or harmful? Are there any surprises in my story? Did I foreshadow them? What does this look like? Are the surprising surprises engaging? Do they clash with the genre? How do I communicate to my readers what this is going to be? Do my character's choices make sense with the characters? 
Have I built a world that supports this, etc. If you're trying to add more surprise to your stories and you're struggling with how, you can ask yourself several questions. Can the world I've built be in contrast to any of the tropes that I am using? Can any of my characters make a different choice than the expected one? Can my non-point of view protagonists have motivation I haven't revealed yet that will help and be help kind of surprise and that they'll be in contradiction to the point of view protagonist? Is it possible the goals that my characters are working towards are not actually what they're working towards? That's my personal favorite. <laughs> are there any wrenches I can throw in the mix? These are great questions to ask yourself. To use an example of how I crafted one of my more recent long fix, because this is a little bit of what I played with. So I was telling the story of the movie while sleeping. And so I understood that there would be probably at least 30% of people that were reading the story that would know all the beats. They, because they literally watched the movie. Some even commented they watched the movie after I posted the first chapter because they wanted to know what I was doing. So some of the surprises for them were inherent in what I was crafting and that I was always gonna have to change something because I wrote Bucky as the best friend and not a 78 year old grandpa who is kind of the role he played in the movie. The role of the character, you know what I mean. But for the people who had never encountered this work, I still wanted to kind of keep them on the edge of their seat and still subvert a few things. So I had to figure out exactly when I had to have the, the character in a coma wake up from the coma. That's one of the major points of the movie, but I got to decide when, and I got to decide how much Tony interacted with the character in the coma beforehand. I got to decide who eavesdropped and heard about it. I got to decide all of those kind of things. And I asked a lot of these kind of questions. So if, this person, if, the, if I've let the readers think that Tony's gonna make this choice, how is it gonna feel if I make him make a different one? And these are the kind of things I explored as I was going. Now, a lot of this stuff is a lot easier in longer fix because you have time to play with them. I don't think, like sometimes one shots, things under a thousand words especially are not super easy to do it. Like once you hit about 2K, I think you have a little bit more room to play with some of these things. I could be wrong and you could, you could prove me wrong. Obviously there are 700 word drabbles that completely play with this. Um, but it's, it's just a little bit, I think if you have a little bit more words, you can make the world a little bit more elastic. If you're looking to make a fic maybe a little bit longer or you feel the plot is moving too quick or you're worried about doing a giant info dump and you need some ways to kind of make it a little bit more stretchy, a little bit more taffy-esque, these other questions these questions are another way to dig in to expectation versus surprise within your word count. If the plot is moving too fast, surprise your character, throw a wrench, do something, have an event happen. The readers will enjoy it too, as long as you haven't broken trust with them. Speaking of trust and looking at a more, shall we say, meta way to manage a reader's expectations versus the likelihood of surprise, if you're a creator and you're sharing your work online, specifically fan works, there are some things that fandom culture chooses to protect people from being surprised by, and AO3 is set up to allow us to do this easily as well as not tagging a story rom-com if everyone dies at the end, we can also use tag summaries and author notes to set up a reader's expectations appropriately or to warn them that you are not warning them at all. This is an important note that some people might not know. So we're just gonna dive into the details of this a little bit. AO3 has six major tags they call the big six. 
these are the only tags required by AO3 itself. That means A, you have to choose at least one of the big six and B, you must choose all that apply. So you can't choose one if three of them are appropriate. The big six are underage, which means specifically graphic sexual content between a person under 18 and another person, whether also under 18 or over. Graphic violence, which is a lot harder to define, but people don't really seem to be bothered by it that much, so it doesn't get used. Major character death, rape or non-con, which is short for non-consent, so non-consensual sexual acts. And the final two are included in the term big six, but are actually the ones that are kind of even more meta than that. We have choose not to warn and no archive warnings apply. You have to choose at least one of these six when you post a new story, it won't let you not. These are the things AO3 has decided to require a warning no matter what. So if your piece has no underage sex, no graphic violence, no major character death and no non-con it, you can check no archive warnings apply and you're good to go. But I really wanna talk about choose not to warn for a moment because this is the one that leads to the most confusion. Choose not to warn means specifically, I am not warning you about what may or may not be in this story. And that is completely broad strokes. It means there may be underage or major character death. There may be neither. It may have all of the big six, i.e. all of the four that are actual things, or it may have none of them. It may have none of the big six, but in my additional tags, there are other warnable things I'm choosing not to warn you about. It basically means prepare to be surprised. The expectation going into a story that is tagged choose not to warn is that anything could happen. Nothing upsetting may happen, but anything could happen. And some of them could be very upsetting. I've seen it used for very, very, very dark fix where the author didn't want to risk missing a warning tag of some kind. I've used it, I've seen it used for temporary and presumed death fix where the author wanted to surprise the reader as to whether the character was really dead or not. I know some authors who use it for everything just to cover their asses in certain cases. So make sure that you are A, that you're checking that area of a new story when you look into it because a, a story might be tagged choose not to warn and then have very, very light or even very fluffy seeming additional tags and then actually be a very dark fic because they left out all the things they wanted to be surprises. Uh, or there may be other content from the big six that you're not comfortable reading that could be in there. But from a creator perspective, also make sure that in order to adhere to AO3's TOS, you do need to select the ones of those that are appropriate for you. And if you're not sure, or you wanna include it, but you don't know where to draw the line, things like rape non-con, they are different for different people. There are different lines, there are different cultural lines. It's not always easy to know if where you would draw between Debcon or non-con, for example. You can always choose the choose not to warn option and that in itself is a warning that protects your readers and protects you. The tag culture on AO3 is often talked about protecting as protecting readers. And it should be because that's a lot about what it is. It, but fundamentally, anything past the tags that Ferret already talked about are a gift to readers. And that may sound really bitchy and that may sound really harsh, but I want this to be clear because what I'm gonna talk about in the next couple minutes is the kind of culture around tagging that I think we need to have some clarity around. I do believe as a fandom creator that it is my job because this is not 
traditionally published work and you do come to my work expecting some levels of safety that things like that it is my responsibility through tags summaries and author notes to the best of my ability to tell you what is going to happen to put you in the right frame of mind there are definitely times where i haven't wanted to tag something because it's going to be a spoiler so i'll put it in my author notes and say hey spoiler for this scroll to my end notes people do Side note, this is one of the reasons I have cheerleaders and betas is because I know my brain works differently than other people's. And so I need someone to tell me, hey, by the way, this should get an author's note sometimes. However, there are going to be times where your definition, just like Ferret said about rape and non-con, your lines are gonna be different than someone else's. Things that I don't think of as a big deal at all or a group of my server friends don't think of as a big deal could end up being the world's biggest deal to you. And it's really, really bad. None of this is perfect. Absolutely none of this is perfect. And we talk a lot about curating your fandom experience. And we believe that the two of us, we know a lot of you believe that, but even curating your fandom experience is not perfect. It cannot be. You will find things that are upsetting entirely accidentally because that is how the internet works and language is subjective. The best piece of advice that I can offer you as a creator is that if you are somebody as a reader who stumbles upon this kind of thing and is deeply, deeply, deeply offended and you would like a creator to add a tag, phrasing that in the form of a question is generally the way I know most creators would like to receive that information. Any suggestion that you make about an already published work, if you feel the need to make it at all, I would encourage you to offer it as a gracious question if they would be willing to add this to the work. Most creators of art, of, of videos, of everything but crafts, honestly, that I have encountered have experienced very, very hostile reactions from readers who were surprised. Some of it is that the reader didn't read a summary carefully or the reader missed a tag. But most of the time, to be completely frank, it's a completely different understanding of something that happened in the thick. It is that something that wasn't tagged for because nobody would ever think to tag for it deeply personally affected the reader. And there's honestly no way that we can anticipate that. And this can lead to a lot of pain. And I don't know anyone who writes to cause pain. I'm sure there are people out there that do it like non-consensual pain, I should say. If we could all just kind of remember that everyone here is generally doing their best and the words and cultures and, and understandings, generations have really different understandings of things as well. We don't know the people behind, the, um, behind our usernames. You guys might know Fair and I a little bit better because we've got this and we talk about ourselves a lot. And there's certainly some other fandom creators that have kind of put a lot of themselves out there in some other ways. But fundamentally, we have no idea the lives of the people that are writing these stories. Just like we who, who write them and who create art and who create them have no concept of the lives of the people who are going to be engaging with it. Tags, are, tags summaries, and author notes are the best way we have to manage expectations and surprises and everything else. But holy mother of Thor, they are not perfect. If something is deeply, deeply harmful or offensive to you, I promise you can hit the back button. 
I respect and recognize, and I know I speak for Ferret on this point too, that so many of us come to fandom to escape. I certainly did this year. I mean, I don't encounter as many children and puppies as I do in my fix. I write soft things because I need soft things. I respect that. But just as the rest of the planet and on our offline lives, we need to offer grace to each other. I cannot implore you strong enough to offer grace to each other online as well. I've tried to cultivate an attitude of giving people the benefit of the doubt in terms of, especially when I read something and I'm like, oh, this hits me wrong. I need to remember that they're not me and they're not my brain. And we all kind of have to work with together. Tags and warnings are also just as a kind of fandom old moment, something that's really been built over time. When I started writing fan fiction, there was absolutely no such thing as tags or warnings. But the the gifts that we have been given now, the kindness that we have cultivated now in terms of tags and warnings are still new. I know that sounds nuts, but they really are. And they're also chosen by people about art and they're so subjective. Things that I consider deeply, deeply, deeply dark fic are probably a walk in the park for some other folks and vice versa. And there's so, so much subjectivity and personalness. I would never consider using choose not to warn for some fics that I've written that I'm sure some of you would think that I should have tagged it that way. It is vitally important to remember that just because we were surprised in a way that felt bad for us does not mean that someone else did something wrong or intentional to shame us or blame us or hurt us as it went. It just doesn't work that way. In summary of this whole beautiful section, Fair and I both believe deeply that setting the appropriate expectations for your readers as best you can is a really healthy way to engage with sharing your work. Not only because it's gonna mean that more people enjoy it, which generally what we're all going for, and it's going to mean that you are, are going to be a clear communicator, but it just kind of makes the fandom wheels work these days. However, we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to screw up. And just like we've said over and over and over again, fandom is a, is a people, it's not a place. And because it's a people, we're gonna just need to kind of work this one out together. So as you think about tagging, if there's something that doesn't quite fit in a tag, maybe throw it in your author's note. If you're afraid it's gonna spoil it, say, hey, spoiler bar for this particular, you know, general theme, check my end notes. Be as explicit as you can that you feel comfortable with as a creator and then go from there. And as a reader, the universe, I promise, the back button works. And in the meantime, let us all look to cultivate fan works and authors and experiences and relationships that bring us joy and the fandom culture that we are looking for. So our Discord server these last couple of weeks has mostly focused around people's holidays, which is great. Um, and that seems to be most of what's on people's minds. Lots of food, lots of amazing food, some decorations. Uh, did have a conversation somewhere about when people put up the tree and when people take down the tree. <laughs> um, so maybe not as focused on the podcast. Um, but I'm glad that, that so many people seem to be finding ways to enjoy the holiday this year. Yes, and the unofficial somehow uh, 
podcast book club is also going strong in the pod in the podcast server in offline life channel so that's been hopping as i have been continually forcing everybody to read the book boyfriend material (laughs) if you uh if you want if you want to read more in 2021 more fiction and um you want some recommendations and a place to chat about it then you should join up because they're having a lot of sure it will not be anything more official than it already is. It will just be a place to squee about things that we love, which is largely what the rest of the server is too. We just were taking over the general channel and uh, we got shoved into another channel, which is fair. <laughs> the, the podcast is not exactly about romance novels in published form, just in uh, online form. But anyway, we did talk a little bit about in a couple of the places in both our podcast server and then some other spaces that we're both in about goals and uh, the things that Farrah and I talked about in last episode came up a few times. And it sounds to us like what really resonated with you guys the most was Farrah's idea of Lego goals. And so I would like Farrah to take a victory lap for <laughs> having an idea that makes the most sense to the most people, which is wonderful because it sounds like it's really helping people, especially a long conversation about how to apply them to house cleaning. Yeah, I think that's kind of a common it's a really overwhelming thing that I think is not acknowledged enough that your space, whether it's your room or a floor or an apartment or a whole house, and whether you share it with other people or not, is keeping it up is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I think that, you know, maybe we all need to take a moment to say, it's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> um, but that also yeah. means that if you try and take on all of it, And I think one of the most common ways I see to encourage people to sort of tackle, um, like there's a sort of general assumption, A, that binging isn't a good way to do cleaning. Like the best way to do cleaning is to do small pieces at a time, which I'll also say it doesn't work for everyone. I know someone who literally Saturday is cleaning day. They don't clean anything else all week, not a dish. They don't vacuum, nothing gets cleaned for the week. And then on Saturday, they spend as much of the day as it takes cleaning everything. And that is what works for them. And that's amazing. I know a group of four people who have a cleaning like cabal, is that the right word? (laughs) And they rotate. So they go to each of the four houses and clean the other person's house on a weekly basis. So their own house gets fully like cleaned by four people in a big rush once a month. And then the rest of it is just maintaining. So there's so many ways to approach it. But I think one of the most common things you see is these lists where it's like on Monday, you'll do the vacuuming and you know one load of laundry, et cetera, et cetera. On Tuesday, this is what we do. And then on Fridays, we do our monthly thing or, you know, like, and there's beautiful sheets and all of that. Um, but if you say it's January 1st and I'm going to print that out and suddenly magically be somebody who adheres to this entire list when before I was a chaos beast, I can, I can just tell you now it's only gonna make you sad. <laughs> yeah. So if that's something you wanna work towards, why don't you print it out cut off a piece of it, stick that piece up. And once that feels really good, you can cut out another piece and add it. (laughs) It's again, entirely about what works for you. And if it takes you a little while to find a system that does, that's okay. There is no right way to live your most organized life. There is just the way that works for you. Exactly. Um, But we did have um, some people feeling that motivation after the episode and just with the holidays and new year, some people have some extra time off. So they were like, all right, it's going to happen. 
Um, we had some, we had several fridges get cleaned off, I think, including yours. Is that correct? Yes. I was very, the, the top of our refrigerator was where water bottles went to die. Mm. So it was like a BPA graveyard up there. And, uh, I was inspired in talking and I just looked at Mr. Flame and I said, right now, this is what we're doing right now. And we did it. And then I look over and I feel a lot better about the way I see my kitchen from my, my chair. So the kitchen is always a thing. Like we have a galley kitchen and that's rough for us. We can't figure out how to organize it. Like we still haven't figured out how, how it works for us. Our pantry is odd and under the stairs. It doesn't have a light. And so like one whole corner is essentially useless because I can't get to it and or ever see anything in it. Do you know what you should so get? They make these sticky touch lights that are battery powered. And you just tap them and they turn on and you can stick them. They're like big, but you can stick them anywhere. Yeah. And we had them and then they kept falling off. And so we think uh, there's something, there might've been something funky with the paint. We moved into a house where the people smoked in it for 30 years. Oh my God. And we didn't know, they didn't disclose that when we, before we moved in. And we've had so many issues with having to scrape and repaint things because of like the, essentially like the nicotine just clung to stuff. Yikes. Um, so we're going to have, we're going to need to completely repaint our pantry and redo it entirely organizationally. And we know that. And right now our major problem, and maybe others of you are this way too. I think you are a little bit too fair, at least in how you're doing your flooring is like the biggest thing we need to do. I know is our, is if I organize our garage, nearly the rest of my house can fall into place because everything that's unorganized about my house, I know will have a place in the new garage. Oh yeah. I just can't do the x number of reasons like i have to wait for spring to do it for a couple different reasons and so i'm just sitting here like twiddling my thumbs like okay well this will go on a shelf in the garage but right now it's sitting on my floor yeah yeah i am similar in that i'm redoing my flooring but i can only do it sort of bits at a time because i have a life and somehow multiple jobs so um i have like rooms that are piles of stuff that are like once the floor is done in x room i can redo it though i have i have found that some of the things that i can start to do is like make stacks and go through stuff and get rid of things so that a lot of the like condoing part of it is done in advance. And then when the floor is done um, or the space is clean or the paint is up or whatever it is, it's like, you don't have to do the annoying sorting part. It's already sorted and in neat stacks somewhere and you can just go pop it all in. That feels really good. So maybe if you're stuck inside for the winter, you could make some sorting corners. Yeah, it's possible. I'll do, yeah. You're much more organized as a human being than I am. I think I just live in constant chaos, but we also have the luxury of not having pets or children. True. So like, I don't have to dust every single day cause it's just the two of us. Like, you know, we have the Roomba, which some of you heard about the, my surprise of the Roomba um, that goes around and dusts the hardwood floors for us. Our whole downstairs is also a hardwood floor. So that helps. Um, but yeah, I'm just not, I've never been an organized person. If mama flame was on this call, she would tell you that it is her greatest failure as a mother and that I cannot <laughs> organize things around me. Um, and she's like fairly OCD about cleanliness. And then she birthed me this like constant chaos monster. Um, it's her, it's her biggest befuddlement about the world. I think how I came from her. But uh, I'm very organized in my brain. And I think that's where that's what matters. <laughs> so as long as um, it's working for you. 
it works for me. However, like this is the frustrating thing. And some of you guys said this too. I still wish my house was cleaner. I just don't know how to get it there. Yeah. So that's the three-step process of, okay, how do we do this? But my biggest gift to myself in 2020 was not holding myself to the, to an Instagram standard for my house. Yes. And I hope that you all can do that for yourself too. I am very good at a lot of things. I am very bad at keeping my house organized. My house is clean. It does, it would pass a health inspection. I'm not ashamed to have people over in terms of dirt, but it is definitely cluttered. And I have just decided not to care. Um, and that's a huge thing for me. And it sounds like I, a lot of us are going to have some extended mental time in 2021 as, as well we did in 2020 to really think about what matters uh, and what goals are achievable rather than comparative goals that we've had in the past. And I hope for all of us that we can work what's best for us, not what we think will present best to other people. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, on these sorts of points of forgiving yourself, I also want to say, um, if you have this big burst of motivation, because it's the beginning of the year, it's a fresh start, you listen to our podcast or watched a episode of something about organizing or anything, and you're feeling really motivated, and you get that fridge cleaned off, and it feels really great. And then that you don't, you don't, that's it. It's run out. You don't get, it doesn't stay with you. That, that feeling of like, Oh, I'm going to accomplish something. If you kind of drift back into how you felt before, I just, I want to make sure that you at least attempt to, to be proud of yourself for what you did accomplish and acknowledge that it wasn't, it's not the maintenance of constant motivation that, is worthwhile. It's the accomplishments that you actually make. So if you did the thing, be really proud that you did the thing. And also realize that every time you have one of those moments when you're like, oh, wow, that like gave me a lot of motivation. I was able to just do something I haven't, I've just been sitting on or I haven't wanted to do for a while. I think that every time we experience that, we, we learn something about what our like motivation triggers are. And if you're like, oh, you know, watching that TV show or something really just sort of hit it for me, then maybe you can sort of save episodes and spread them out or find other shows that give you the same thing or read other books that give you the same thing. Um, or maybe it's visiting other people and seeing how they've decorated their house or something or buying a, a, a thing that you want to use in your house, but you can't use it unless you clean off the top of the fridge. Then when you have those experiences, you learn about how your personal motivation works and that knowledge is always valuable. Even if it feels like it's going to be forever before you feel that motivated again, you still learned something. You still did the one thing. You still had that experience of motivation. You know you're capable of feeling it. So it will come back. You can do it again. And you should be grateful for the experience that you did have and forgive yourself for it not necessarily lasting for the entire year. Absolutely. And I will say too that us on the podcast, both Ferret and myself, and a lot of people on the podcast server really, really want to cheer when you accomplish your goals. And so, especially if there are things that you maybe can't share with some other people in fandom, um, I'll also say on the Steve, Tuck Steve, Tony, Bucky discord that Ferret and Heather and I mod, we have a brag bucket channel where we want to hear what you've accomplished and we want to cheer that along. I think we talk a lot about the fact that comments are really motivating on fic and art. And we don't talk about the fact that it would probably be really good if somebody celebrated the fact that I cleaned off my fridge and I felt a lot better when you guys were happy about it. With I kudos so, your like, new fridge. 
Thank you very much. We don't get kudos for adulting, but good news. Many fandom spaces want to give you kudos for adulting. So please come and we'll help celebrate with you. And maybe that will also help that, uh, that tick over of motivation is that amount of pride uh, that, that we all feel when other people are impressed by us. Just gonna, not gonna lie, that's kind of what it is. So however, the, the fandom community that is within the sound of our voices here can help you accomplish those things too, we want to. Uh, so please come find us on one of the places that I just talked about. Uh, and we will not stop talking about goal setting throughout this year. This wasn't just something that we did at New Year. We're gonna keep checking in with each other as well offline for sure but we'll try to remember to do it online as well and you guys keep checking in with us and telling us how things are going um and we want to be a part of however 2021 is the best for you we wish that for you and uh if there's ways that we can help with that we want to Speaking of help on a more um, sort of technical uh, perspective, um, we wanted to announce that the new writing word count tracker spreadsheet is available by Trislora on Tumblr. Um, this is the, the tracker that we talked about in the last episode that both Flame and I use to track our word counts. And um, it's the one I most highly recommend uh, for anyone who would like to track daily word count numbers. Um, so the link will be in the show notes, so you'll be able to click through, and the blog is Trislora, and the 2021, the link to the 2021 has been posted. I will say, again, there are instructions under the Read More. If you've never used this spreadsheet before, I highly, highly, highly recommend reading the instructions. It seems like a lot. It is. It takes a little bit to set it up, but once you've figured it out, it'll work for you for the rest of the year, and you'll be able to set up next year's without having to read the instructions again. So I really recommend reading them now. At the very least, do know that the way it works is it's shared. There's a, a link share, a Google link shared. You have to save a copy to your of for yourself um, because obviously, if everybody tried to use it at once, it wouldn't work. So you're going to need to go to your Google and say um, save a copy. So at least read that part of the instructions of how to get a copy for yourself. But I also beg you to read the rest of the instructions. If you're not an instructions person and it's giving you a challenge, I will also say this again, I'm happy to help you. I've used it for a really long time. I'm really comfortable with it. And um, you can even give me the share link and I'll get in there with you and help you set it up. So that's an option too. Yeah, and last episode I found out I've been using it incorrectly for an entire year, so. Yeah, and we're not please. mocking you for it. We're supporting you through that. <laughs> I'm excited to download it and have Ferret help me figure out what I was doing wrong last year and so that I can use it even more effectively this next year. So even using it in the like diet Coke version that I used it, <laughs> it was really helpful and I really liked it. So hopefully as you, if it's again, if monitoring your word count is something that you'd like to do, both of us recommend it, whether you use it properly or not. I, just to clarify, I feel like we should say that we're not recommending that you track your word counts. <laughs> we are no, recommending that if you want to track your word counts, and Flame and I are both numbers people who like to do that kind of thing, this is the best way we know to recommend to do that. But tracking a word count is a totally a personal decision. It's not like, oh, in order to be a good writer, I need to track my word count or all the BNFs track their word counts or anything like that. It is absolutely just if you like having that statistic at the end of the year or the end of the month or what have you, or if it keeps you motivated, it's a tool for you. But we are in no way endorsing entirely the concept of tracking word counts. Yeah, the idea that BNFs track word count somewhere right now, Saber is having a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> 
absolutely no way. <laughs> I think I think Saber might break the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I posted a fic this one as we record this, the first of 20 chapters. And I said, there's going to be 20 chapters. And her response was, how do you know? I was like, oh, we are different writers. <laughs> oh, bless. Oh, bless Saber. So... God, I use that word too much. You know what? One of my intentions is to not transition with the words absolutely or so as as I do. I apologize orally to all of our listeners for having just suffered through those transitions. <laughs> wow, I need to grow. As we move on thinking about our plans and goals for 2021, our next episode is actually going to be about shipping because we've covered tropes. We're now going to cover ship. We're going to do the like 35,000 foot view on it. So we're going to be talking about mono shippers, multi shippers and poly shippers. And if anyone overlaps in those three categories. So what we'd love to know from you and please head to our fandom feelings or the discord server or anywhere else. We'd love to know how you identify. Are you a mom shipper? Do you only ship stucky or pepperoni or um, what have you? Are you a multi shipper where you bounce around? Uh, are you a bicycle person in the midst of that where you bounce around you know, to any Tony ship, but the only Steve ship you'll accept is Stucky? You know, let us know, kind of figure that out. Are you into play ships or not? How does that work for you? We would love to know. I think Fair and I are both on record that we are multi shippers and poly shippers and read pretty widely. We have a couple that we come back home to on a regular basis, but we read pretty, pretty widely. Uh, but we, we want to hear from you. So please, please, please. The link to Fandom Feelings is always in the show notes. The Fandom Feelings is the anonymous way to tell us about this. But if you would like detailed diatribes that you put your name on, Twitter, Tumblr, Discord, email, find us and tell us. We'd love to hear. We're also accepting, um, similarly to we did what we did for uh, birthdays, if you have a, a poly ship or a bicycle character, say that you want to tell us in detail um about what it is about that ship that gets you or why Polly is special to you or you know maybe you ship all the Avengers together as an OT6 um you can give us your your full love letter to a specific ship uh and email is the best way for that and uh, we will have that right on air We are in a fresh year. We decided that one of the best ways to celebrate this was with a fresh new, I don't even know, are we calling it an event? We're calling it an event because I choose to call it so, and I'm the one talking right now. So I'm going to turn it over to Ferret for the grand announcement of Trope of Two, the Tropening. The Tropening, son of Trope. Um, yeah, uh, Trope off round one was, so much fun and I had a great time with you guys and uh the results were amazing so I always said I was going to do round two I needed a little bit of break because it was a fair amount of management but we are definitely doing trope off round two in fact the first poll is already live and our first true tropes up against each other are enemies to lovers and empreg <gasps> You're coming hot with that one, Barrett. You're coming for me hot. Coming in hard. So in case anyone doesn't know how Trope Off works, uh, maybe you missed round one, which ran from, I want to say like August 
2019 to sometime in the summer, 2020, this one might be a little faster. Um, but basically I picked 25 tropes, semi at random, semi tried to mix things up a little bit. So there was some variety in there. Um, and I built a bracket for them, a complete tournament, if you will. And they faced off against each other in Twitter polls on a semi-regular basis. And each winner moved on. Losers went into losers. It was double elimination. So two losses and you were out. And over the course of that year-ish, we, uh, we eliminated 24 tropes. And if you want to see the results, we're going to put a link to the Tumblr post where I laid it all out, the top three winners, how it all broke down. Is going to be available in our show notes, but we're talking about round two. So the way it will work is I have the list of 25 tropes that I've chosen. I huge thank you to everybody who submitted some for me. Um, I really appreciate that. And some of them made it in, some of them are getting saved for a potential round three. I do try and kind of balance the list so that it pulls from a couple of different corners and, and types of tropes. So, um, but I will also say that I keep the list a secret from literally everybody. Nobody knows it because I can't vote. I'm the only person who can't vote in the, in the polls because you can't vote on your own Twitter. And I'm also the only person who knows the full list because I very specifically do not want people to be influenced by the other tropes that they know are in the event. And if they have a list they can refer to, then they might try to play the game by voting for ones that they think are gonna lose further down the line so that their trope can win. And I really don't want it to be that way. So I'm not going to tell you the whole list, but you do know that this first one is enemies to lovers versus mpregs. So those two are definitely in the running. But the way that I, because I also get asked sometimes, beyond getting asked what the whole list is, I also sometimes get asked what the, what the meaning behind one of the tropes is. Like, what is this? Um, what do you mean by this? What does mpreg mean? Do you mean like only with ABO or like, uh, like gender swapping or whatever. Well, it, no, it's, it's how you read that. So if basically, if you were presented with two fix or two arts, you didn't know anything about them, except this one tag, there's no summary. There's no other tags. All you know is this one tag and you have to click on one of the two fan works, which one would you click on? So I'm not defining anything any further. This is how you interpret those two tropes. So yeah, it's in your hands. Just follow your heart, I think is the best way to do it. Try not to be influenced by other people's votes or the, it's, and it can be the stuff you like to create or the stuff that you'd like to read. It's just like, really, you look at those two and what do you pick? And that's what I want you to go with. And I react live on air because I also have no idea <laughs> what is happening. It doesn't put things in the show notes that you get my authentic reactions. So this <laughs> is an entirely ferret enterprise. I simply attempt to be the voice of the people and sometimes completely sway you all to my point of view. The, the trick is to is to record is to get Flame to talk about which ones she voted for after the vote is already closed. So she can't affect all you guys. Maybe we'll make that a policy this time around. Hey. No, I'm not saying that you were like, no, I am saying that there was, there were campaigns. There were campaigns. Oh no, I definitely campaigned. I definitely campaigned, but I don't actually think anyone listens to me. So 
I think, I think assuming I swayed any votes is, is giving me far more power than I am due. Yeah. But I love playing with this just as much as the rest of you guys do. I understand there's lots of folks who don't want to be on Twitter and we get it, but always feel free to hop in the podcast server and talk and, and bicker about which one is right, even if you can't vote. But I'll reiterate, the only votes that count are the ones cast on Twitter. Yeah, I can only take the stats Twitter gives me as gospel because I don't want to accidentally count anyone twice and Twitter does prevent you from voting more than once. So that's straight up. I just take those numbers. So you can always make a Twitter account, follow no one, lock it and use it just for voting if you so wish. It is free Um, and you can use it solely for voting on trope off. I I would be honored if you had a Twitter account just for trope off. Um, and additionally, uh, it's on my Twitter account. So that's at Festiferit. Um, those are, that's where the polls will go. So, um, I pretty much don't post much of anything else on Twitter. So you also won't be like, uh, putting yourself in a, you know, you don't want to pay, you won't have to be putting up with anything of mine, except maybe the occasional pet picture, which, you know, I'm sorry if that bothers you, but that is who I am. <laughs> It's true. It is her most authentic muscle self. <laughs> so yeah, it, I'm like inordinately excited about this. And I love that I was able to announce Trope Off Round 2 on our episode about tropes. That's amazing. And it was really fun picking the list. Um, and I, I would like to say that I don't pick the list that's like my favorite 25 tropes. I just wanted to be like kind of balanced, kind of representational. I know some of these are probably going to get like destroyed, but that's the way that it works. Um, and if you, if you like some tropes that maybe aren't always on the top of people's list, then you got to vote. Cause that's how, that's how you're going to get them pushed up the list. So we've got an unknown number of months ahead of us. I honestly don't know. I'm not going to commit to a schedule here. Um, but you can follow me and I don't know, Twitter probably has some kind of notification thing. So you could do that if you're very excited. I will also, one of us will post in the podcast server every time a new poll has been uh, posted. So you can also just be in Discord and uh, turn your Twitter off and only go to vote. Um, and we, we love hearing people's conversations. And if you listen to any of my breakdowns of Trope Off Round 1, you'll know that my very favorite thing is the vast majority of people who want both in the same story. So I say again, if any of these votes prompt you to create a fan work of any kind because you wanted something that combined the two that were up against each other, please let me know because that would bring me so much joy. And I would love to see what spawns from this competition where the result is mostly people just wanting everyone to get along, (laughs) which is so sweet and so fandom. And I love you guys for it. So keep me posted go vote. I hate having to say follow my Twitter because I really don't want you to feel like you need to follow my Twitter, but set up some sort of system so that you can follow them because I do really want you to find the polls every time they come up. I would love more people to vote this time, even though we had a great turnout last time. And we'll definitely make sure to update on the pod. Hello, hello, fandom. I'm Only More Love, back with your events forecast. Today, I'll be sharing some information about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. Here's the usual note before I begin with the current events. 
you'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. Now let's move on to the fun stuff. Just a friendly reminder that the fourth round of the Marvel Fluff Bingo is open for signups until March 16th, so please go grab a card to write all the fluffy tropes and get-togethers. And please note that the Marvel Holiday Fest, a prompt fest based on holiday movie plots, open to all ships and without minimum requirements, is still open for fills until January 31st. The Cap I Am Com Remix events are also ongoing, but you can still participate in Remix Madness. That's the Remix Fest, which goes on between January 10th and February 20th. Remix Madness has no minimum requirements and is open to all types of fan works. If you have questions on how remixing works, have a look at the detailed post on the Cap Iron Man community. The COM also announced its 2021 Reverse Big Bang. The event is currently open for art submissions and will remain so until February 10th. Have fun, make art, and be awesome, friends. Did you know that you can get a customized STB, Steve, Tony, Bucky, bingo card until January 31st? After that date, you'll still be able to request a generic card from February 1st through May 31st. All combinations of Steve, Bucky, and Tony are allowed, so you get to play with no less than four ships in any medium you want, and without requirements other than responsible tagging. Have fun, and please join the server if you feel like chatting. The Shrunky Clunks Big Bang will be opening signups on January 16th, so keep an eye on their page on Tumblr or Twitter to participate. The minimum is 10K, and posting will begin in June. The Starker Festival's blog on Tumblr is back with another one of their low-pressure challenges. For the month of January, the mods have put out a 3x3 New Beginnings mini bingo card for the community to fill. Have fun! The Thor and Loki Kinky Valentine Exchange is open for signups until January 9th, with a deadline set for February 12th and reveals on Valentine's Day. It's open to all Thor and Loki ships, so if you ship Thunder Shield, Thunder Iron, Frost Shield, Frost Iron, or a poly variation of those four guys, check it out. A Sam Wilson prompt fest has also been announced. To be sure not to miss the details and rules when they come out, be sure to give the blog a follow. That brings us to the end of your events forecast, friends. We hope to see you again next time. Until then, please be safe and as always, happy shipping. Well, that is it for episode 21, our very first episode of 2021. Funny how that worked out. Huge thank you to Lahanji for our cover art, to the Potscast staff for all that they do, and to all of you for listening. We are so excited to charge into this year with you guys. As always, remember that you can hit us up on any of our socials. We read your comments and submissions on air, unless you don't want us to, and then tell us. For deeper chats, you can also join our Discord server. Just check the show notes for links. 
If you're listening on a podcast service, you can find the show notes on our website, which is podonthesuit.com. If the show notes are not showing up where you are listening. Hope you had a safe, peaceful, and lovely holiday season. For those of you finishing up your most hectic time of the year, we hope you're getting a rest now or soon. And for those of you who, fin- who are finishing up a break and are about to go back to real life, good luck. We will see all of you back for episode 22. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.